Father, we thank you for that glorious promise that we have just sung. And we ask that in the shadow of that promise, in the light of that promise, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be indeed be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'd be interested to know your response to two stories. The first story is about a man who was uh, on the Titanic when it went down and, uh, and found himself floating on a piece of, of board in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. As he was floating there wondering what was going to happen, another man floated by him on another piece of wreckage. And the other man, who he discovered his name was John Harper, said to him, he said, young man, are you a Christian? And the man said, no, I don't think I am. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And as he said that, the, the waves swept this man away. He said it wasn't very long that another wave brought him back to him miraculously again. And the man again said to this guy, are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm not. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And then another wave bore him away and he never saw him again and discovered later that he was drowned. And the man said, as I, was, as I was hanging on for dear life out there in the ocean, I realized that what I needed to do, and in that moment, I believed in Christ, and I opened my heart to Christ, and, and I became a follower of Jesus. The second story is, is one I heard from Haddon Robinson, who said that uh, years ago he was leading a Bible study uh, of businessmen in downtown Dallas, Texas. And one of the men who attended was the CEO of a uh, computer company, and he said all the other guys in the group knew that he was not a Christian. And so Robinson said, one day I asked him for lunch, and as we were there talking over lunch, I said to him, Wally, are you a Christian? He said, yes, I am. He said, I was a little surprised by that response. He said, really, when did that happen? And the, and the man said, I don't know. And... Uh, Robinson said, well, I was trying to think to myself, well, maybe he doesn't understand what it means to be a Christian. So I said to him, tell me about it. And the guy proceeded to tell him. He said, you know, he said, uh, when I first came to your Bible study, I was not a Christian. But he said, not too long ago, I was standing, shaving, looking in the mirror and thinking to myself, and all of a sudden I realized I bet my whole life on Jesus now. Everything about my life is about Jesus he said, honestly, I don't know exactly when that happened. I just know that I'm living my life for Jesus. Now, here's the intriguing thing to me about those two stories. I suspect if you grew up in the church, the first story, you're thinking, yeah, I get that. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. The second story might make us just a little bit uncomfortable. Because it doesn't follow the pattern that 
the stories are supposed to follow. We're supposed to know things like times and days. We're supposed to have this moment. That's what it means to be a Christian. And I'm convinced that that's not exactly true. I think there is, in these two stories, the revelation of of maybe a myth that we have subconsciously bought into about what it means to be a Christian. Now, we come to the story in Acts 15. We find that the, the church in Jerusalem is having a discussion about how people come to faith in Christ. And the discussion is, do the Gentiles have to, in essence, become Jews before they can be Christians? And there are those in the church, many of the the Jewish people, who are saying, yes, that's the way it happens. That's the way this works. And Paul and Barnabas say, I don't think it has to be that way. And they have this heated discussion about it. And the church is is wrestling over it. And they're wrestling with their own experience of being Jews who become Christians. Because all the church in Jerusalem is basically Jews, all the leaders certainly. And they're wondering about the way God has worked in the past. And they're wondering about what the Holy Spirit's doing in the present. And actually, as you think about people who their whole lives are steeped in Judaism, being willing to say that the Gentiles do not have to follow our path is nothing short of miraculous. Now, let me just say this. I think part of the struggle that they are having is that when we deviate from the way we've always thought it should happen, there is something in the back of our minds that that worries. When we move away from the formula that we've embraced, are we going to move away from Jesus at the same time? If If we abandon the formula... The fear is, what if we're going to abandon Jesus? If God doesn't work the way he's always worked, then does that remove God from the equation? I think that's part of something that Job's friends are wrestling with. All of their life, they have seen God work this way. And now God is working with Job in a different way. And Job is wrestling with it as well because what's happening to Job doesn't fit the well-designed formula and box that they they have come to know about God. When you get to the end of the story, there is an essence God is saying to them, okay, who are you going to trust, your formula or me? Who created everything that, that's around you, your formula or me? Now, let me, let me also say this. This is not all roads lead to God. This is not that it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what kind, of, what kind of things you believe in. Everybody, all these roads lead to God. That is not what the church in Jerusalem is saying, and that's not what I'm saying. Because the reality is, it is all about Jesus. In verse 11 of, of uh, Acts 15, it says, we've all come to faith the same way through Jesus. The, the discussion they're having is, do you have to have the same pathway to Jesus? But it's not. You can, you can come to salvation in all kinds of ways, Jesus and not Jesus. That's not what they're saying, and that's not what I'm saying. It always comes back to Jesus. But sometimes our formulas about how we get to Jesus 
can become more important than Jesus himself. Sometimes we are so enamored with clinging to our formula because stepping outside of our formula makes us uncomfortable that actually we can put more weight on the formula than on Jesus. And I think that's what the church in Jerusalem is wrestling with. So I think it's important for us to step back a second and say, all right, what does salvation mean? Does salvation mean that we have followed the formula, we, we've done what we're supposed to do, so, so we're good? Or is it something deeper than that? Kosuke Koyama says that when we talk about salvation, it's not coming to a conclusion about God, and it's not even walking over the bridge to God. It's simply opening up our hearts to the invitation of Jesus to be transformed. Dallas Willard talks about Jesus at the center of every dimension of our life. And Matthew Bates talks about salvation being Uh, being the kind of, of life in which we pledge allegiance with every part of our being to Jesus. And every one of those ways of trying to describe salvation, you'll notice, comes back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. Because Jesus is the only means of salvation, as Peter says in Acts 4.12. But sometimes we can be so, so enamored with the formula that's comfortable to us that that becomes more important than Jesus. Dallas Willard talks about what he calls barcode faith. You know what I mean. When you go to any kind of store now, everybody, you know, either if you're doing the self-checkout, you do it. If, you're, if somebody is there helping you, they do it. But how did things get into the cash register? When I was young, it was entered manually. I worked in a grocery store, and I, the, and I know that people who worked there went to school for a while to learn how to hit the right buttons on the cash register without ever looking at the cash register. They just run those things across, putting in numbers the whole time. Well, now what we do, we scan the package. What's interesting is that if there is a... If, if you pick up a package of strawberries and they scan it over it, but the label, the, the code on it says that you don't have strawberries, but you have avocados, I guarantee you the computer's going to tell you, you just bought avocados. Because the computer doesn't care what's in the package. The computer only cares what the barcode says. And sometimes we can be that way about our formulas and our faith that's why Willard says sometimes our formulas become so important that what's inside of us really isn't all that significant. We might not even have a heart that's all that interested in Jesus, but we, we follow the formula, so the formula says we're good. But the gospel's about so much more than that. It's about a life given to Jesus. It tells us in verse 2 that Paul and Barnabas have this heated disagreement with some of the people in the church. And in Galatians, Paul gets into it with Peter as well. Because Paul is saying, we, we've misunderstood it. You don't, we, we are so focused on the formula, we're missing Jesus. 
And if people have a heart for Jesus and if people love Jesus, then how they got to Jesus is far less important than the fact that they love and want to follow Jesus with all of their being. And I suspect one of the reasons that the, the, the Jews are struggling with this is because all of their life is wrapped up in being Jewish, in following the rules and the law of Judaism. It is, and that law has brought them to Jesus. And there is a sense in which to think that people could come to Jesus another way, I think creates a, a, an uncomfortableness in there, in them that says, well, what if that's true, then does that diminish my walk with Jesus? And the church isn't saying that. It's not saying, look, if, if you're not going to follow the formula, then, you, then what, you, what your, your experience is not right in the same way as it's not the other way around. The point is not, so how do we come to Jesus? The point is, is our heart turned to Jesus? I wrestle with this a lot in my life. I was raised in the church. I cannot remember a moment in my life when I did not want to be a follower of Jesus. Now, I had ups and downs of that journey. I suspect you have as well. But one of the struggles I had is that, is that the, the, too often the church would say, you have to follow this formula. You have to have this experience. And so we keep going to the altar to try to have that experience. And people would say, you've got to do a 180. You've got to repent. You've got to turn 180 degrees. The problem was if I turned 180 degrees, now I'm not following Jesus instead of wanting to follow Jesus. And it's, it, was, it was not just confusing, but it was troubling because in my spirit, deep inside of me, I wondered, am I really a follower of Jesus because I haven't had this experience? And maybe you understand that. And the people that tended to get paraded in front of us at youth camps and all these other things were the people that had a dramatic change of their life. And the implication was, you need a dramatic change of your life. When the reality was, what I needed to do and lots of other people needed to do was simply embrace what we had been taught all of our lives. And we have to embrace it. But to do that in a way that may not fit the formula. And so I want to say to you today, if you have come today and, and that's your experience, I want to affirm you and to look at your heart and to say, not what was my experience in getting to Jesus, but is my heart fully turned to Jesus? I want to pledge allegiance with my life to Jesus that's what matters and the myth that we sometimes believe makes us oblivious to the work of the spirit in each of our hearts what God is doing in us to change us and to continue to transform us into the image of his son but it's not just about us it's also about other people that we influence in the 19th century revivalist movement in America, one of the leading uh, personalities of that movement was Charles Finney. In fact, he was a lawyer in Rochester. And Charles Finney had a, was wrestling with God for, for a long time, and he had an experience where he went out into the woods, and he had this, this 
life-changing moment. And out of that moment, he began to preach and, and talk to people about the kind of experience that they could have in their lives of transformation. And, and he, had a, he had a great influence on the movement of the church. But unfortunately, he became to the place where, where he felt so strongly about what God had done in his heart that he would say to people, if you haven't had an experience like I've had, then you need to question whether you're really a Christian. And instead of creating an atmosphere in which people could come to Jesus however the Spirit led them, he had a tendency to create an atmosphere where people had to fit the formula that he had experienced. And you know, we're all tempted to do that. Because one of the problems with formulas is that it creates a mindset in us in which we are continually judging people about who's in and who's out. And if they've had the same kind of experience and they fit the formula that I'm comfortable with, then they must be in. But if they don't, then I'm going to tend to think they're out. And we create an atmosphere in which we are judging people instead of loving people and drawing them to Jesus. But the gospel keeps saying, not, it doesn't speak to us about a formula, it speaks to us about Jesus and people coming to Jesus. And, and when, we, when we even subconsciously buy into this myth that everybody has to do it the same way, we become oblivious to the work of the Spirit, not just in us, but in other people too. And instead of encouraging them in their faith, we discourage them. And people wrestle with that. We are called to be people who affirm people in their journey with Christ, whatever that may look like as they come to him. And instead of being oblivious to the Spirit, we want to be open to the Spirit. We want to see the Spirit moving and give thanks for that and to help people along their journey to and with Christ, even as people have helped us in our journey to and with Christ. And it can be challenging because the danger, again, is that, that the formula becomes more important than Jesus. And we are continually wrestling not to do that. There is a sense in which what the church in Jerusalem is asking is, what do we do with the Gentiles? And that implies there's something wrong with the way the Gentiles are loving Jesus. There's something wrong with the way the Gentiles have put their faith in Jesus, and we're going to have to fix it. And by fixing it, we have to make it look like us. Paul steps up and says, no, we don't. We don't have to do that. We just need to affirm the fact that they love Jesus, even if their journey looks different than ours. I had a friend who was telling me recently about his grandparents who, uh, you know, long life, lifelong Christians and had spent their life in the church and, and deeply committed followers of Christ and they had, a, they had a, an acquaintance who they were praying for about coming to Christ. And, and they, this, this acquaintance went to what in their minds they would call uh, a Christian rock concert. 
It was the kind of music that they really were uncomfortable with, that they really weren't sure if you could be a Christian and sing that kind of music. And they were very skeptical about it and very judgmental about it. Until this young man that they were praying for went to this concert and at that concert opened his heart to Jesus. When he began to tell them the story, their response was, you know what? We've been wrong. We thought God could never work through something like that, but he has. And we need to let the Spirit do what the Spirit wants to do. And I have to tell you, and my friend said to me, I have such great admiration for my grandparents because that was not an easy thing for them to do. And when I heard that story, I thought to myself, I want to have that kind of openness to the Spirit. To let the Spirit work in any way that He wants to, to bring people to Jesus. And I don't want to be an obstacle for that. I want to be a, a channel for that. Because here's the problem. When we start thinking about formulas, instead of being open to the Spirit, we can easily become hardened to the Spirit. You know, I've also found that it's funny because when you start thinking about the fact that, well, we don't want to have a formula, you know the next thing we do? Now we start making a formula out of not having a formula. You know, because what ends up happening here in the church right now, when we read the story in Acts 15, it, the Jewish people are running the church. It won't be very long until the Gentiles are running the church, and they do the same thing to the Jews that the Jews are tempted to do to them. There is something in us that is always trying to put God in a box. But God refuses to be put in a box. And the, and the choice that we is, we're continually being confronted with is, are we going to let God be God? Are we going to let the Spirit do what the Spirit wants to do? Are we going to open, be open to let the Spirit move in people's lives to bring them to Jesus? Or are we going to become hardened to the ways in which the Spirit desires to work in others as well as in us? And to be channels of His grace to people as they come to Jesus. Brennan Manning is one of my favorite authors. He's had a, he had a hard life. He went through lots of ups and downs in his journey with Jesus. And I think that's probably why what made him appealing to a lot of people. But in one of his books, he makes this statement. He says, in essence, there's really only one thing that God is asking of us. That we would be people for whom God is everything. And that we would be people for whom God is enough. That's my question to me and to you today. Do we trust God and the work of His Holy Spirit enough to say, God, it may make me uncomfortable. I, I may not, it may be outside of my box, but I trust you to work any way you want to and I want to be a part of it. Holy Father, we thank you that you are so much bigger than our boxes. 
Father, we don't want to be oblivious to the Spirit at work in us and in others. We want to be open to you. So give us grace to be open to you. And do more in us and through us and among us and beyond us than we could ever dream or imagine. Through the grace of Christ Jesus. Amen.